We got the emails, the church signs, and Pastor Wolfmuller is out as a denier of objective justification. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. So, uh, if you guys would put mega some mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Because you lost a bet, you're listening to Table Talk Radio. Hey, did I lose a As you could say that, too. I lost a bet eight years ago. <laughs> therefore, I'm hosting Table Talk Radio. <laughs> That's right. How are we still doing this? It's amazing. Uh, we keep hoping to get canceled, but uh, management is still getting back to us whether we can keep doing the show. That's right. But uh, people, uh, Someone asked me, I saw someone this summer, because, you know, we've been a little bit spotty this summer. We have to admit that. You having a baby, me being never here. Uh, <laughs> and someone said, are you guys still doing Table Talk Radio? And I said, oh, yeah, we're still doing it. And they kind of, there's a little look of disappointment in their face when they said, <laughs> I know. oh. Dang it. <laughs> I know. I know. You can't just stop listening, you know. They're like, I try, I try. <laughs> it's like a, it's like driving by an accident. It's like you remember back in the eighties <laughs> when they used to show like surgeries on TV, like in the news. I'd be like, this person's having their heart removed, and there's a there's a person having, and you're like, I can't, can't not look. <laughs> you're listening to Table Talk Radio. That's about right. Well, I don't Sur- open heart surgery filmed in the eighties. Table Talk Radio. We might be. <laughs> We might be losing our touch if we ever had a touch, but uh, I don't even know what we're doing today. Would we have a show? This is—I'll tell you. So we got to do the yes. We it's there. It's all on the Trello, under the episode planning thing. What I'm, we are doing I'm is over Trello. Trello is like well, yesterday. Don't worry, I got it. Uh, okay. We first we're doing buzzwords. Then we got. It looks like we got a a bumper sticker, church sign theology, a church website. A new game, What's the Lutheran Distinctive? Ten Commandments in the News. And then this, one of the most blasphemous things I've seen, an Ariana Grande song uh, from Pastor Kilgo, who likes to be mentioned in the show. He, I, was, I saw Pastor Kilgo at, youth, at a youth retreat last week, and he makes the kids listen to Table Talk Radio while driving to this retreat, but he picks the episodes where we mention him. <laughs> Pastor, you're says, famous. See, kids, do you they see? Always they said Pastor Kilgo you. there. <laughs> So anyway, kids, you're doomed. You got to listen to this one now too. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Oh man. Well, that's what uh, it's going to be. So my buzz for buzzword for you is sanctification. Sanctification coming from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. You know, when we sing the sanctus, we sing the holy, holy, holy. Mm-hmm. Sanctification means to make holy or something like that. I wish we had a better word than make. We don't have a. You know, it's just one word in Greek and in Hebrew. It's just and uh, and Latin. It's just a verb to 
to holify or to holificate or something, but we don't just don't we don't have an equivalent English word, so we gotta we gotta add a noun and a verb together to get the whole thing to make holy. But there's two ways to think about sanctification. This is an important distinction. We we talk about sanctification in the broad sense and sanctification in the narrow sense. And in the broad sense, sanctification is everything that the Holy Spirit does to make us holy, including regeneration, con- uh, contrition, repentance, uh, the new life that follows, uh, even the resurrection of the dead, even the death of Jesus and his resurrection. That's part of sanctification in the broad sense, everything that the Holy Spirit does. But sanctification in the narrow sense means the growth and good works of the believer that follows baptism or conversion. And so this is the thing where the controversy is, what's the role of good works? And the Lutheran says, hey, hey, look, good works can be dangerous because we can trust in them. The opinio legis, remember that opinio legis idea? Our good works mean that we are good and acceptable in God's sight. That's wrong. That's dangerous. We reject it. But does that mean we reject good works altogether? No way, man. No way. That's what the Lutheran said, like St. Paul. No way, Jose. We do not reject the good works. We do the good works. In fact, it says not only do we say that you have to do good works, we teach how it can be done. And this, the secret sauce, is the Holy Spirit. The faith that believes the promises of God also grabs onto the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moves into the heart and the conscience, and he does not move in to take a nap. He moves in to work, to do, to instruct and to inspire and all that sort of stuff to regenerate us, give us new pan, new, how, how about this? I've been try, trying to track this language down in our Lutheran Book of Concord, that we have new impulses, new affections, new desires. So the Holy Spirit not only helps us to do uh, good stuff, he gives us the desire to do good stuff. He changes even what we want to do. That's great. That's our life of sanctification. All right, uh, my Theological buzzword for you is confessional, and uh, see if you like this uh, this brand new definition I have for confessional. Uh, to uh, if, to be confessional, it means that you believe that you're not the first person to get the Bible's doctrine right. Because, uh, and this is hmm. all, this is the defense of my definition. Because if you say that uh, you know so and so also taught the Bible correctly, then you're in some way binding yourself to that person's confession. Um, so if you, if, you are, if, if you say, look, we have no confessions, then it's just you and the Bible, and, and you have to make this confession for yourself for the first time, because you're saying that no one else Generous. has got it right. And the moment you say someone else got it right, you have bound yourself to that what that person said. So you, even if you're not part of a confessional church body, you say, I'm not a Lutheran or a Catholic or whatever, uh, but you say, oh, but but uh, whatever John MacArthur or uh, Stanley or whoever, wh- whoever the teacher is, that person teaches everything right about the Bible. Well, now you're saying that that person's confession, what that person says about the scriptures, is true, and that is what it means to be confessional. But here's, here's you need three things then to be confessional. Number one, you have to uh, believe that the Bible teaches a doctrine, and two, okay. you have to uh, believe that uh, there is a such thing as right doctrine versus wrong doctrine. And I think yeah. a lot of the reason that people can't then uh, have a confessional stance is because they don't believe that there is actually a difference between doctrine being right and doctrine being wrong. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that, and then, then I suppose you also need a confession of faith. That's probably the third thing you need. So 
Anyway, that's uh, that's my my brand new definition of confessional. <laughs> what do you think of that? I kind of like that. What's got you thinking about that? By I don't way? know. I was taking a shower this morning and just thinking about things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, this is really? a point. This is a point that we we I think make a lot, but it's always worth saying is that Lutherans uh, do not bind our confession to that of Martin Luther. Um, so that Luther had taught some good things about uh, Christ, some good things about the Bible, but there are things that he taught that uh, he got wrong, and we're happy and willing to admit that. But we do bind ourselves to the Lutheran Confessions, the 1580 Book of Concord, where theologians have said, this is what the Bible says, and we have read them, uh, and we say this is correct about, uh, th- this confession is correct about the Scripture. So we, we say, uh, Lutheran confessions are true, and that makes us then confessional Lutherans. And you have confessional Presbyterians, I suppose, confessional Calvinists, confessional Catholics, I suppose. Well, I don't know. Are there confessional mm-hmm. Catholics because you're always subject to the Pope, and uh, that's not necessarily a confession? It is right. There, the, um, that, that's, I, I, I was wondering about this, if the difference between like the Catholic idea of of doctrine and the so-called protestant idea of doctrine is the difference between like a democracy or, or between like a uh the rule of law and the rule of a monarch so in the ancient world you had a king and what he said was the law you know like the kings of persia meet the medo-persian kings they'd make a law and it becomes the law mm-hmm. but uh but for the um that's how it is for the catholics so the pope says something and now it's law that's why everyone all every catholic is like Shaking in their boots when Pope Francis goes to say something because they're like, oh, oh, what's he going to say? What the heck is he going to say it's, today? It's kind of like when uh, when your crazy relative wants to make a toast at a wedding. Like, oh no, what's he going to say? Right. <laughs> or when or when your co be ready is with the, the mic DJ to switch it off. Wedding reception. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, that was the best. <laughs> I love it. Now the the Lutherans are, and the other, I suppose, confessional Protestants, we have a law, we have a text, and it doesn't change. It just stands there, it's, so you don't have to worry if it's going to be different today than it was yesterday. Um, so I mean, they, look, there's, so I think you could say the Catholic Church is confessional, but in a different way because they're still bound to Trent, but they're always busy trying to actually tell you what Trent meant. So you can't ever just have the text itself. I mean, I've I've thought about this as a pastor of a confessional church body. Um, if I'm if I'm teaching the Bible on a on a major point of doctrine and someone has a disagreement with me and that's fine they, anybody can disagree with me but they're not disagreeing with me like it's not my job to convince them that I am right about this passage uh, because you have come into a Lutheran church and we uh, teach the Lutheran doctrine and so you have to convince us that that uh, the the confessors the reformers have gotten this wrong about this major doctrine so it's not i mean otherwise it's just becoming you have to believe my interpretation and it's not about my interpretation it's about the teaching of the scriptures and we've bound ourselves to say this is what the bible says so uh for the for the kind of lone star non-denominational church pastor it's just him and arguing his case for that particular verse there you go all right we need yep, to that's helpful take a what, quick how can this... break and then we're going to get to Pastor Wolfmuller's all-star lineup of today's show, which will be I able to get buzzwords in. Buzzwords took so much time. Three segments. This fantastic buzzword. Yeah, right. We'll be right back. Well. Earplugs not included. You're on Table Talk Radio. 
Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. And welcome back to Table Talk Radio, where we have successfully squandered an entire segment and only three more to go. How are we going to squander the next three, Pastor Wolfmuller? Well, first we're going to read this email by oh, soon-to-be seminarian, Raymond. I think that's right. He says, I've been meaning to send these in for a while now. Church sign. This from a Baptist church in Colorado Springs. Until God opens the next door, praise him in the hallway. And bumpa sticka on a Jeep. My children think I'm an ATM. Have fun with these. All right, let's take the first Raymond one. from so, Colorado. So uh, if uh, God is not, what is, what is it, something like, if God doesn't open the door, then praise him in the hallway? Uh, until until God opens the next door, praise him in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to this one. Um, we're to rejoice always. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. This is an inter- it's, there's an interesting metaphor here for that is pervasive in the church. This is what we should wrestle with, and I haven't really thought about it till right now. So this is this is what live action thinking sounds like, apparently. And the idea so is painful. that, well, it might be that God. So God has an idea for how for the things that we're supposed to do, mm. but He hasn't told us what they are. And so the metaphor is like we are waiting for the Lord to open a door or open a window. Yeah. It, this, and this is biblical, too. I mean, Paul talks about this. He says to the, uh, where does he write? He says, pray that a door would be opened for the gospel. Mm-hmm. So the open door is like an opportunity. So we're waiting for an opportunity to do something. And and we're looking for the and we're looking for that open door. So you hear people say stuff like this all the time. When God closes one door, he opens another. So our lives are like walking down the hall. And we're looking for open doors, and and the Lord is the one who's opening the doors, and then we want to go through them. Colossians four um, three says, "And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains." Now, I I think specifically that prayer from Paul. So while the open door, I don't want to. I'm not sure how how much I want to take this on. Like this is really. I'll tell you what's a bad idea about. God's will for our life. And that's this idea that we're like walking on a tightrope and one one foot after another, we're on this path in the dark. And the Lord has a very specific thing that he wants for us to do, but he hasn't told us what it is. It's in the dark and he won't reveal it to us. And that what that means is that we're always waiting for the signs for what's next. Mm-hmm. We're looking for signs right. and indications and we become like Christian magicians. We're, try, we're trying to tell the future. We're trying to, t- well, I don't know what God wants me to do, and the meanie pants won't tell me. So now I'm trying to pry out some sort of little bit of knowledge any way I can to figure out what the Lord's will for my life is. That is pagan. That's not a Christian idea of God's will. God's will is that we keep his commandments, so we love him and love our neighbor, that we believe his promises and serve one another. That's God's will for our lives. So if it's under the umbrella of the... Uh, Ten Commandments, and if it's done in faith, it's good. Do go for it. Do whatever you want. Start a stupid radio show if you want to. Who you know? That's God's will. <laughs> See what I did right. there. Uh, now, but so, I, I think anyone who's who's talked to people um, who aren't Christians with the hope of bringing the gospel to their ears that they would believe, anyone who's done that knows that there are times in which people are more 
uh, willing to listen than others. And uh, sometimes right. it's just so, a matter of opportunity. So we're, we're looking for that opportunity to be able to speak that word of God. Yeah, so, so the door that Paul is talking about is the is the opening for the gospel. It's not like an opportunity to do a new business venture or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. move to a new place or buy an ATM or something. Uh, what is that? Uh, no, no. What's the all-terrain vehicle? ATV. I got ATM in my mind because, uh, <laughs> you know, here is God's will for me to buy a boat. Well, he just closed that door. So now I'm looking for another door. Mm-hmm. No, that's Paul is very specific here. He's praying for a door to be open for the gospel because Paul knows that unlike the things that are free in this life, like who you marry, where you go to school, what color socks you wear, and so forth. These are all free. There are things that are not free. We are not free to believe the gospel. We are not free to trust in God above all things. We are not free to pray. With the, all of these spiritual activities are only uh, available by the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul, there's I, we've been studying the prayers of St. Paul, so 18 times he tells what he prays about when he prays for the church in his epistles. Mm-hmm. And almost always he's praying for this, that the Holy Spirit would come so that you would know God's love. The Holy Spirit would come so that you would have spiritual wisdom. The Holy Spirit would come so that you would know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of God's love. So that Paul knows that unless the Holy Spirit makes a way for the gospel, unless the Holy Spirit opens ears to hear the word, then all of his preaching and all of his work is in vain. So the door that Paul is praying that would be opened by the Holy Spirit is very specific. It's the door of faith. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not just an opportunity to like go to this place. Now, there is some of that in the book of Acts. Like Paul wants to go second missionary journey. Paul wants to desperately go to Ephesus. It seems like he's Paul has his eye on Ephesus all along, and he's trying to get there, but the Holy Spirit forbids him, and he ends up going to Philippi, and Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, all the whole thing, and he doesn't get to Ephesus until just for like a couple of weeks on his way back to Jerusalem at the end of that journey, and then third missionary journey, he's whoosh, straight to Ephesus, and but but the Holy Spirit is, is governing all these things, is preventing him from going, is stopping him. In fact, it says that the Holy Spirit prevented us from going into Asia. So he's closing a door, I, I suppose, in that case. Um... So I so I guess so this is I think that we can with a little bit of care use the idea of the Lord opening and closing doors as a way to think about how the Lord is interacting with us in this life. All right, let's go to the second one. Then it was a, a bumper sticker about a, a ATM on ATV, something like that. <laughs> uh, my children think that I'm an ATM. Oh. Have fun with uh, these. You're probably more I think qualified. that'd be great, by the way, if my kids would be, hey, Dad, can I borrow some money? I said, yes, but that'll be a $3 bank fee. <laughs> That's right. You can start collecting. <laughs> I'm, but you, you can borrow. I'm just keeping a ledger. 20 bucks for gas? No problem. <laughs> Bringing your debt up to $14,523. So you, do you issue all your kids an a, a ATM card? <laughs> Dad... <laughs> Dad, Dad ATM. Uh, you're like, oh, sorry, your pen is not accepted. <laughs> it is amazing how it is amazing how that you see the opinion legacy at work in the kids, where you say, "Hey, kids, you want to do some chores?" No, no, no. And then, Dad, I need twenty bucks to buy this stupid thing. Well, I'll do some let's chores. do some chores. <laughs> it never occurs to them that they might need, but they just figure they. I mean, they just live this. I mean, you know, kids are basically hippies. They're communists. 
Uh, <laughs> we're born, well, they are. I mean, we're they're born just, communists and have to. Yeah, there. It's a. It's like a. I mean, they're on the dole. That's how they said it in Australia. They they live on charity. Uh, when they live at home, it's great. I mean, I was a communist when I was in, or at least a socialist when I was in high school. Yeah, money's the root of all evil. Well, you could say that when dad's got a job and he's buying dinner for you, you know, and clothes and shoes and gas and everything, a house, money's the anyway. So the kids got it. We got to make them into capitalists. So okay, well, I think there's this a good idea about um, that you the kids don't get an allowance; they get paid for doing chores Mm -hmm. i think it's hard to implement because it's hard to keep track of so you need a manager you gotta like pay one of the kids to oversee all the rest of them i like that idea yeah so you're you're the uh you're the financial manager for the rest of your siblings (laughs) right that's right you're the cfo you take applications for which one of you is going to be the cfo i bet isaac would do good at that Ah, uh, that's great. Um, what else? What any other bump sticker uh, church signs? This is an email from Nathan. Nope, okay. we're good on that. Here it says, "This is church sign theology." New listener, thank you. I just found your Android app last month when prepping for a road trip. I was wondering back. I was working backwards for a while, then decided to start at the start. We'll see how long it takes to catch up, uh, etc. I don't know uh, how many oh, times if you can find we've warned people not to do that. Like those going back to the early episodes is uh, like. Walking on fire. I mean, I I don't know that that is a good idea whatsoever. Well, I don't know. I I can't remember if we were really bad or really good back then. I think we're getting worse. Well, I think that we were really bad, it? but we're getting worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is an extreme. That is a most likely possibility. And so then what happens is people are like, man, this is really bad. But surely they've been doing this for 500 episodes. What are we on? Like 400 and something. 449. Stupid. We've been doing this forever. They probably get better. And then they listen, like, no, how, no, no. So the proper thing to do is to listen backwards, because if you start now and go backwards, it'll seem like we're getting better. And by that, he means play the audio backwards, and maybe something good will come from it. <laughs> you know the whole thing where you uh, play music see. background and hear, like, the devil speaking, you know? But, but if you play table talk radio backwards, it might sound better than when you're playing it forwards. Right. That's right. It's it's like orthodox. You know how like all those bands in the 60s, you'd listen to it backwards and it's like a message from the devil or something? That's what I just said. That's what literally Table what Talk I just Radio. said. Are you listening to me? Well, I was reading this email. <laughs> I was driving past the Church of the Nazarene every morning when I dropped my daughter off at school, and I look up to what they uh, say until recently they had, does your life stink? We have, have we got a pew for you? <laughs> ah, that's great. I mean that's what we I think, use more puns and things. Uh, now I we got a pew for you. Is that so? What I do not understand is that what you say? There, the pew has to do with stinking, like when you go to change a diaper. Right. I don't know if you've actually changed a I diaper. I see where yet. you're headed. How old's Lily? Uh, about a month old now. A little, little more. So thirty days old. That's probably three hundred diapers. Isn't it amazing? How effective their digestive systems are. We those keep babies. reminding her the cost per diaper every time we change her. <laughs> That's right. This is going on your tab. <laughs> yeah, that would be what funny. Am I, a diaper the, TM. So next automatic. Like, I'm an so, so AD when, automatic diaper machine. When, when Lily is 16, she's kind of twenty dollars to buy something stupid. I can be like, you know, I've already invested four thousand eight hundred and thirty-two dollars into you so far. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think that's a good idea. Keeping track. Just keeping track for tax purposes. 
<laughs> I did claim you as a dependent after all. Uh, all right, we need to take a quick break and we'll finish whatever it is you're talking about. We'll be right back, Cable Talk Radio. times when you just want to be alone. This is Table Talk Radio. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Well, before the break, you were, I think, trying to read an email. Does your life stink? Have we got a Pew for you, pu. That's what that thing. When something stinks, pu. I think that's even I, I, the pun is multi-layered. I here. see your criticism though, because because when something stinks, you don't want something that stinks as a remedy, right? So, if your life stinks, here's a pew. You would want you want the anti-pew if your life stinks. Yeah, that's right. We got the we got the fumigation. No, what is it called? We got the uh, what's this stuff? Febreze. But these days it would be. Does your life stink? We have a padded chair for you. I think. Here's the thing. So, yeah, my life stinks. So I got to come to this church. And but the problem is, I'm not sure I want to sit next to a bunch of other smelly people. <laughs> now, by the way, the church sign has been updated. It says, "Have the donkey and the elephant let you down? Turn to the lamb." <laughs> See that one? Yeah. See what that means? So you I got the donkey. That's the I Democrat. The How did the Democrats is. get the get the donkey? As their animal. Who did decided that? And how the Republicans get the elephant? Does Someone anyone know the you know the foresight. source of that? <laughs> I know. Elephant's not that bad. Yeah. Old, wise, etc. etc. Wasn't it like I saw this video on the YouTube cartoonist? about this guy getting charged by an elephant and he just stands there and the elephant backs off. It was amazing. Anyway, it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> Turn to the lamp. Speaking of Jesus, I would imagine. But I'm pretty sure we don't want to enter into the thing and say that Jesus is an alternative. Well, maybe we do. Let's, let me think about this. Jesus is an alternative to the political parties. That's, that strikes me as slightly Gnostic, Gnostical. You know the idea that mm. you have to leave the world, you have to be an ascetic, uh, you can't be involved in the things of this life to be a Christian, so you can't be a soldier or anything else like this. Now, this is probably, look, so there's a way that the Christian can also engage in politics. I think right. I, I'm, I'm wondering if the person who put that church sign up was listening to this um, show, which we know is not even in the realm of possibility. But um, I think the person that put this church sign up would say, dude, it was just a church sign. <laughs> you're, you're overthinking it. <laughs> in other words, it's not like, uh, hi, I'm here to change my voter registration from Republican to the party of the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I appreciate your art. I'm here. You've convinced me. Your your huge flourish of rhetoric on the church sign has convinced me. To totally changed my life. The email continues. I want to say thank you for your show. My brother's been paying attention for a long time to Worldview Everlasting and is a donor to the Creation Museum. Uh, but I've just recently got a fire lit under me to become more fluent and able to speak to my faith after losing my parents this spring. Woo. I'm also a fan of Whose Line Is It Anyway, so I really enjoy the format and the fake points. You see that? Mm -hmm. Now, this is an amazing sort of thing. So, so 
there, there's something happened when when our parents go to heaven, grandparents go to heaven, parents go to heaven, and now we're the next generation, we're the ones holding the line, and you recognize that the responsibility that we have is not the responsibility to, to make and to do and all this other stuff, but is to believe and to, and to speak kindly of, the, of our faith to our families. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if this would work into your show format very well, but I'm trying to figure out where to start dogmatically. I inherited my dad's books, so I've got some Luther, Chemnitz, Pieper, Mueller, Walter, etc. And between two little kids and being a slow reader, uh, I'd like to be efficient with my time. So that's a good one, question for you, Evan. Where would you start if you were telling someone to just get going in their in their theological work? Where do you where do you start? What's your list? What's your reading list for someone who wants to become more proficient in their orthodox articulation of the faith? Whew. Well, I mean, the the Book of Concords are a pretty good place to start. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, uh, I mean, if, if you want to be able to articulate the faith, the Book of Concord is the articulation of the faith. So, I mean, it's it's uh, good stuff. It might be, depending on where you're reading, it might be a little heavy. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Where would you start someone off? I would start, yeah, I, would, I was thinking the same way. I start with the Book of Concord and start with the small catechism, then the large catechism, and then the Augsburg, and then I think you can go straight through after that. So okay, small catechism, yeah. large catechism, then you, then you move straight through Augsburg Confession and the Apology. I think that's all right. Small call to be all right. Power and primacy of the Pope might need a little background. It, once you get to the formula of Concord, it's the most dense of all the theological things. They're talking about controversies that that we maybe don't have, uh, although probably we do. There's a great historical introduction that's available online for free. So I'd start there. And then Walter's uh, proper distinction between law and gospel is good. It's not, that does not take, I think the barrier to entry on that book is pretty low. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And then you can get into some Luther stuff. And depending on what Luther you have, you could, um, his, his Galatians commentary is pure gold. His Genesis commentary is really good. Um, Mueller, these other books that you mentioned, like Mueller, Pieper, and Chemnitz, these are all going to be good. Uh, that maybe they, they come next. So Pieper's Dogmatics is great, but it's it's not necessarily a read-straight-through sort of thing. It's more like, hey, I'm interested in a particular topic, so I'm going to go study that. Although some people, I'm sure, read straight through Pieper and Mueller, which is just an abridgment of Pieper, um, and are blessed by it. Chemnitz, the Examination of the Council of Trent, is a mu- this is my... The, the, like I've got three books that should be read at, by every guy at seminary, but normally aren't, and that's Luther, Greater Galatians, Luther on Genesis, and Chemnitz Examination of the Council of Trent. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, good list po- right there. Yeah. In poking around, the email continues, in poking around on the Internet, I found ATP on YouTube, Ask the Pastor, mm. which some guy with a big beard from Eldona, it's, uh, a lot of it sounded good until he said something about objective justification not being scriptural and that the Eldona is the only Lutheran church to reject it and is therefore more confessional than the LCMS, something like that. I know there are like eight years of Table Talk Radio to go through. Has Eldona been discussed at all? <laughs> I don't think uh, so. Have we talked about the Eldona? I don't think the so. The Evangelical Lutheran Diocese of North America. I like these Eldona guys. They got spunk. The, um, the guy, uh, by the way... Um, who asked the pastor? Oh man, I'm embarrassed that I forgot his name. I'll have to look it up real quick. He's in Kerrville, Texas, my hometown, where I was born, mm. uh, and at a church that was Missouri Synod, uh, but left and went Eldona. And when we're when we go to visit him, whenever we're down in Kerrville, um, to visiting family and stuff like that, so we go to the church. And his ask the pastor is pretty good. 
I kind of like that YouTube channel. Um, the, the, the question, and probably the Eldona is one of these little splinter church bodies. Their bishop is Bishop Heiser of, of Repristination Press. He's also a nice guy. He was a Missouri Synod pastor. I used to visit him when I was down in uh, on Vicarage in Waco. So there, there's a couple of connections. And, and um, these guys are trying to be Lutheran. They're just, it's so hard. There's just so few. I mean, there's probably a couple dozen churches. Man, oh, man, that is tough. But the big rift between those guys and us, apparently, is this question of objective justification. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think this is a big question, by the way. I think the Eldona, while maybe not 100% right, might have a right criticism. Because at some point, I don't, I don't know the whole history, but back in the 70s or something, maybe the 60s even, we started to make this distinction when talking about justification between objective and subjective justification. And uh, and the language now is almost that distinction is taken for us like a, like a gospel distinction, like it's a really important theological distinction. It's a brand new distinction, and uh, and the way people talk about it, you would you you'd almost think that like our orthodoxy depends on being able to make that distinction right. But I'm not. I, I think that distinction is maybe I'm gonna I'll go out on a limb here is less helpful than than we think. In fact, I think the, the distinction between objective and subjective justification is not helpful. Well, let, now you let, gotta, So we got to talk about this a little bit. Okay, so let, let me maybe fill in the gaps a little bit for some of the listeners. So um, I think what, what a lot of uh, Lutherans are talking about when they make this distinction between objective justification and subjective justification is to talk about the work that was done objectively on the cross that uh, that that. Our sins are forgiven, and in the moment that Christ dies on the cross, he says, it is finished, was raised from the dead, and that is all something that stands outside of you. So, um, in a way, um, all all people have the forgiveness of sins because of the atonement of Christ. And my, my uh, knowledge of that, my um, agreement with that, my belief in that, has nothing to do with the fact that my sins are forgiven. So I could walk up to Joe Schmo walking on the street and I say, hey, look, uh, Christ died for you and your sins are forgiven. And that is true because it stands as something objective. Um, however, in order for one uh, to receive the benefit of that sacrifice, to uh, be saved, to have salvation, uh, one must uh, have faith, which is um, a gift of the Holy Spirit through the Word. And upon hearing the gospel, uh, uh, Receiving the means of grace, a, a person receives faith and has salvation. So that's the subjective. Now, I think I think the reason that people oppose the language of objective justification is it seems to adjust, suggest that a person can be justified apart from faith. So certainly we wouldn't say that because Christ died on the cross, um, all people are uh, right with God because uh, we are right with God on the basis of faith, but so 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 I have a verse to throw at you. But do you agree with what I've said so far? I mean, am I painting yeah, yeah. the picture right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, but he, but here's the so a couple of weird things in there, and that is to say that when you're talking about being justified by grace through faith or being justified by faith, the language of the of the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions, almost I think every single time justification is mentioned in the book of concord it's by faith 
and almost every time it's mentioned in the Bible. But now we have this objective idea, which is to say, well, what do we talk about justification when faith is not involved? Right. And it becomes a strange thing even to call that subjective. Right. Well, I, I think that, well, we can talk about this on the other side of the break, but we could talk about yeah. universal atonement versus justification by faith. And uh, let's, let's figure this out right after the break. Stay tuned. Table Talk Radio, where the voice crying in the wilderness is the listener. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. All right, welcome back. All right, so before the break, we were talking about this uh, distinction, objective justification versus subjective justification, and we were um, making the point that uh, the, the atonement for sins happens something completely objective. It happens because of Christ's death and resurrection, and that one must receive faith in order to uh, uh, receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. So it's not a universalism where everybody's saved. Uh, but it is a universal atonement. Now you were, we we're kind of kicking around the struggle about talking about justification in an objective sense. What are what are your thoughts on that? So so maybe a couple of things. To, to, so you're right. I think the when when most people say objective justification, what they mean is universal reconciliation. That Christ, by his death and his resurrection, has reconciled the world to God. That every sin is forgiven that we all stand uh, acquitted before God's throne. That's what's, what's being talked about. Now, the, the problem is, whenever the Bible talks about justification, it's very, almost always very specific to be talking about the, the faith, the, the, the reckoning of, that, of the righteousness of Christ to us, which we have by faith. So let's say, through faith, by faith, the, and the, the Lutheran confessions will say, when we believe. So that, and that is, the, that is justification. That's really almost always what we're talking about when we're talking about justification. So, so, we don't need, so we don't need to split up. I don't think we need to split up the justification into two different things, because then what happens is people really focus on the, what they call the object of justification hmm. to the detriment of subjective justification. Hey, we're talking about, obje- uh, we're talking about justification apart from faith. Which is never something that the Bible talks about. Justification apart from faith—that's it's kind of crazy talk. So, so we have we have the language that we need to get there now. But I, even if you want to divide up justification in this way, I'm not sure it's helpful to divide it up into objective versus subjective because it assumes that faith is subjective. I mean, maybe you could say a universal justification mm. versus individual justification. But faith is a is a is a real thing. Faith is not just some sort of emotional reaction or some sort of ethereal when the holy spirit comes and gives us faith to believe this is this also is an objective act of god a true work of god through the external word maybe it's because it's it's internal that we call it subjective so there's like the external word and then the the internal word and we call that internal word subjective but i'm just not sure that the language that this distinction is helpful for an, any number of reasons so, I mean, the, the one thing that we would all agree upon, whether you're Eldona or LCMS, is um, that we're, 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 we're against this sort of subject of justification in the sense that um, it's upon my 
believing or it's upon my, I mean, even worse, upon my acceptance that I have forgiveness so that there's not, not that forgiveness is com- is already done by the work of Christ, but that forgiveness is a potential, that that Christ right. has paved the way for you to be forgiven, and if only you would assent to uh, believe in him, then you, then forgiveness is one. No, no, no. Forgiveness is already won by the work of Jesus. But I want this. I want you to talk about this verse. It's uh, Romans okay. chapter five, verse uh, eighteen. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Right. That's right. So th- this is the this is there's this passage and maybe one other passage where justification is used in the broader sense to refer to. Um, what is to refer to the the complete redemptive work of Christ, which is why we can't simply throw this out altogether. But we got to say uh, that look when when Jesus stands with his blood before the throne of God, all there, there is a there is a universal declaration of of righteousness and, and redemption is brought to all people. But we should, we should, we don't, what we don't want to do is ever separate that from the faith that believes it. Because apart from that faith, you don't have it. Apart from that faith, you don't have it. So, so that we, when we talk about the distinction between objective justification and subjective justification, it's almost like we're trying to put those two things against each other for some reason. Whereas they should be, they should be bound up. Our faith that believes in the death of Jesus uh, is altogether, um, uh, it's, it's all bound up together. Uh, in the hope of us coming to eternal life. And one of the analogies that I stole from Pastor Ernie Lastman up in Seattle that I use all the time when I'm talking about this is he used the example of uh, if, if there was a country that was threatening like a, a missile attack on the United States and we were in complete fear and, and trepidation because we're going to be attacked by this country and uh, say we, we go to bed like Thursday night thinking that that might be the last day we live. And over overnight, Thursday night, a, a peace treaty is signed between the United States and this other country. So we wake up Friday morning, and there is, objectively speaking, there is no threat. Uh, there is no real chance that this country is going to drop all their nukes upon us. But we hadn't turned on the TV yet to know the news. We're still living in that fear, even though objectively there is peace. And uh, I think that's a that's a great way to understand um, that that God has done the work to reconcile us back to himself, but uh, living uh, apart from faith, we uh, are not yet justified before God. What do you think about that? Right. That, no, no, that's a beautiful analogy. And and the point, I think the point of the distinction by those who make it is that we want the gospel to be true when we're saying it, not just when it, not when it's believed. It's not like the promise of the forgiveness of sins becomes true when you believe it. It's true when it's spoken. It mm-hmm. stands true before. Mm-hmm. So that you have something that's solid to believe in. Well, that's great. I mean, that's just, that's fine. The problem is that we, we we run the risk of muddling up the very clear language of the scriptures and the confessions by kind of by inventing these new terms. That's what I'm really worried about, and and you see it over and over, is that this uh, this this um this distinction between objective and subjective justification is used as an excuse not to preach faith, not to preach the comfort of the gospel, which is an abuse of that distinction. Right. Okay. Uh, anything else? In the we want to be able to say this. Here, Here, by the way, I pulled up Article 4 in the Augsburg Confession. It says, they teach, that's the Lutheran teach, that men cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merit, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favor. 
and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, who by his death has made satisfaction for our sins. This faith God imputes for righteousness in his sight. So we just we uh, this 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 integral role that the scriptures uh, give to our faith in this work of justification. We don't want to we don't want to lose that. Right All now right. we get to be strung up. By the way, now that I'm out <laughs> yeah, <know>. on this, <laughs> yeah. it's out there. It'll be PRBW at tabletalkradio.org. Yeah, good. It's just good thing that uh, we're it's to, we're talking about it on table talk, so nobody will hear about it. That's so. true. Now this is this is a safe place. Safe zone. Here's here's another. It's like publishing an article in the church newsletter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard that. You one didn't before. read that? Well, that's what. I, yeah. Uh, this is from Tara, who's from Australia, no doubt. Hi, pastors. <laughs> Long time listener, first time emailer. Check out the church website about page. Hmm. Okay. Spoiler alert. It's from the Lutheran Church. Okay. Funny enough, I'm listening to your critique of another website about page right now. Keep up the excellent mediocre work. My family and I appreciate and learn from every episode. Wow. So this is a website called The Core. Hmm. All the right. Core. So what is a worship service at the core like? Or actually, I should, I should back core, up. We'll... I should back up. What What can I expect yeah, yeah. when I visit the core? Well, according to the website, the core is a place where hope comes to you through God's word and His sacraments. Okay. It's where you can discover what it means to have a lifelong relationship with your Savior. Hmm. <laughs> you don't have to pretend your life is perfect. At the core, you'll find a friendly, relaxed place place, where you'll be encouraged, challenged, and taught through God's Word how to connect to your Savior. You will hear God's Word as it applies to you in your daily life. Amazing, these buzzwords that we use these days. <laughs> I'm all for com- God coming to you through His Word and sacraments, but that even, even that's becoming cliché. And then you discover what it means to have a lifelong relationship with your Savior. We've said plenty about the idea of having a relationship with Jesus and the danger of that language. It's yeah, not if, a biblical If you want to hear us talk about that, just go phrase. back and listen to any other episode. <laughs> you don't have to pretend like your life is perfect. That's the least favorite thing on this because I think we re- don't we require at church and even for Table Talk Radio listeners that you have to pretend like your life is perfect or else you cannot come? Yes. In fact, I think that's in the bylaws of most congregations today. Pretending you to must be perfect pretend like required. It, and if you get disciplined, it, you, that person, they weren't <laughs> pretending that their life was perfect. They weren't They're pretending enough. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Now, now, there could be there could there could be something here in the Christian culture that you get shamed for being a sinner, but man, oh man, we should not have that. I mean, especially the like the first thing you say when you go into the church is, "I'm a poor, miserable sinner," and nobody looks at you and says, "Nuh-uh." <laughs> All right, let me get to the next one because we're out, almost out of time. Uh, what is what? worship service like at the core? At the core, we'll give it to you straight. Honest talk about the issues that concern you as well as the feelings that trouble you. Our messages and music will put your life into the context of God's Word so that you can see His purpose and promises for you. We pray that church worship at the core will connect with you, your heart, and your life. Okay, so you have about 20 seconds to comment on that. Well, I, I don't. I mean, it's just it's just a cliche sort of thing. Um, but what what do we? I mean, how would we rightly talk about worship? We say this: Hey, Jesus uh, loves you, and He wants the blood that He spent that He spilt for you to be handed out to you. This is this is what it is. So that it's not about. I mean, this whole idea of like here's how we're fashioning ourselves so that we connect to you more, and we you know we're doing all this to become relevant. The relevancy of the church is not in our attempts to be relevant. The relevancy of the church is that Jesus really is sitting on the throne, and He sits there to bless us and to serve us the forgiveness of sins. 
I like that better than connecting and relationships and all that. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where we, we where we help you advance in your confessional sanctification. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this <laughs> edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio that? is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Advance. Radio. You see how many jokes are involved in that? Advancing in confessional sanctification. I don't like how me getting my buzzword, buzzword requires me to listen to you. Cancer, brain tumors, bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving I'm sure I said confessional a million times. Did you email me? I didn't even notice it myself. Visit tabletalkradio.org.